welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Arbo's most nice and accurate work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Yes, and we are back. Oh, it feels like it's been ages since we've done an episode, but I think it's just <laughs> because it's not a bonus week for once. Well, uh, this is the start of a bonus week. Ah, uh, thank God. So a, a few episodes coming out this week. Um, yes. At the end of our previous episode, we left with Blake standing in a mirror, watching Jeremy uh, close in on the uh, unconscious cabal. And uh, this chapter picks up right from there, where the, the cabal is completely at Jeremy's mercy, and Blake can only really just watch from the other side of a mirror, unable to do much. Yeah, and there's a real sense of powerlessness about like, the way it sort of opens with the the satyrs like starting to sort of touch rose yeah like, not in not in a necessarily super gross way but just the fact blake can't do anything about it and he just has to kind of stand there and watch it it's yeah it's very tough to read yes um you do get this kind of impotent sense from blake throughout yeah. most of this chapter actually where he kind of feels mm. like he's did did you ever play that team building exercise where one person has to put on a blindfold and the other person has to give them instructions to navigate through a minefield? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, like I've done I've done stuff like that. Yeah, I yeah. kind of feel like Blake's the one trying to give instructions to the people in the blindfold because he's you know <laughs> at this point he's basically impotently watching, and then later on Evan is flying around drunk and Blake is trying to yell instructions at him quickly enough to keep him out of harm's way you really get this overall sense of like he really he really regrets his loss of agency here yeah i mean in saying that i think he and evan as in blake and a drunk seven-year-old probably work better than i've seen other people in <laughs> real life like two true two functioning adults work in in real life so yeah uh you know by that metric i think they do all right fair enough um i i want to touch on a line here where blake thinks towards the start of the chapter he thinks certain individuals were immensely important to me four or five of those individuals were now at the mercy of our enemy um the important line here being four or five uh because obviously the four would be you know his three friends and evan and the or five the kind of person that he half cares about here someone that he maybe thinks is immensely important to him is rose um and it's been a real roller coaster of emotions of blake's emotions <laughs> regarding rose this arc right it's yeah, uh, yeah and it's obviously not over yet um uh yeah it's really interesting to me to kind of keep track of of the way that blake has felt towards rose and i'm not sure whether it's his feelings towards her dampening as the influence of the drains gets lessened on him or if it's kind of the other way around where now that he's back this kind of drive to be the sacrificial lamb and the protector of rose and the thorburns in general is kind of forcing him to to see her in a bit of a different light uh, yeah i mean that that's something that had crossed my mind too is maybe as he gets less insane monster he kind of defaults back to instinctively wanting to help rose mode yeah. which is um <clears throat> i mean you know based on how this chapter ends not really a good mode to be in at any point <laughs> uh yeah like, like to me metatextually i think the way that you really start this arc uh, fucking hating rose uh, and then and then it sort of softens up and you're like, oh, okay, you know, oh, it was conquest and, and and Blake's internal monologue becomes more and more forgiving on her, uh, of her and I started to get there a bit too. And I think that that's all just designed to make the ending to this chapter hurt even more. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's, yeah, you're right. That obviously kind of, it's interesting that Blake's, I mean, you know, last arc ended with, or this arc began with, I guess is more correct, began with Rose shutting Blake out, right? And that was obviously a pretty harsh act, and we haven't really interacted mm -hmm. with Rose since then, but there has been this kind of vibe of them, or at least of Blake kind of earning his place a bit more. And so you do kind of expect that towards the end of this arc, they are going to reconnect. And I love how how this chapter kind of continues that feeling and then just completely subverts it at the end. I mean... To be fair, he's now found a place uh, that he's going to be in for a long period of time. So, you know, well, mission accomplished. He found a place. Yeah, I suppose. Um, <laughs> uh, just a fun little beat is that all the all of the coterie, all of Jeremy's coterie seem to be carrying around various restraints. 
Uh, yes, some more lewd than others, yes. which uh, I like when Jeremy even draws the line at um, <laughs> yeah, thank that God. one where he's like, no, we're not doing that to Ty. And I, I gotta like, say, oh, even though Jeremy is now proper in antagonist territory this chapter, um, I'm still really endeared to him. I mean, like, <laughs> he seems so overly reasonable, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he's nice and polite about the whole thing i mean god especially compared to rose yeah end. he gives he also gives blake ample chance to kind of make some deals to help himself out and and blake is just having none of it of course but mm-hmm. I, I quite like jeremy's style as a practitioner he's he's a fun he's a fun character yeah yeah well i mean he comes across as kind of laid back which you know suits well, yeah makes sense i suppose um so jeremy you know, and his coterie kind of continue to chain up the cabal. Um, Blake is relatively contained. I mean, he he can't really do anything here, but also Jeremy doesn't want to break any of the mirrors he's in for fear that it kind of will accidentally release something that's worse. Yeah, and again, there's a sense of how like neutralized or impotent Blake is because he's just sort of having to stand there and and Jeremy's basically like, oh, yeah, I'll chat to you when I'm done. Yeah. Well, you know, the, Blake is very much a not threat uh, in Jeremy's <laughs> yeah. mind at this point. And I'm not sure how much of an accurate read that is, because obviously Blake does cause some shenanigans to make himself more of a nuisance, but it definitely doesn't feel like he's really overtly threatening. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know if Jeremy could have expected Blake to uh, feed Evan in that way <clears throat> like, like he like he does. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Jeremy kind of continues to attempt to bind the cabal, including Evan, and, and Evan is about to get kind of sealed up in a little box, uh, but Blake is able to give him some power, which helps him escape, um, and so begins an interesting little chase scene. (laughs) Uh, yeah, and, and, so, I mean, the interesting thing here is, is Blake spends a while looking for something to cut himself with. Um, because this is sort of his go-to move when things get really bad, is to just, uh, literally bleed himself out. dry, yeah. Yep, uh, and, and he can't find anything sharp enough, uh, until he eventually picks up the roller chair and uses that to smash the desk, which, you know, chips some wood. Yeah. Uh, but, like, the interesting thing here is, as he's doing this, he sort of notes the roller chair and thinks, like, and, and in the real world, it's what Rose is stuck in. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, you know, there's an interesting reflection here. He basically does sort of our sort of job for us and notes that uh, <laughs> it's it's what Rose is tied to, but it's what he can use to do something. And, and he wonders if there's something to to that. And I mean, I tried to think of any situations where this has happened in the story and I've, I've come up blank. So if, if anybody else has some ideas, um, I, I can't see this as a, as a bit of a trend. I, I just think it's a neat observation by Blake. Mm. I mean, it might be the start of a trend, right? Uh, we might yeah, see more yeah. examples of this going forward. Um, I mean, either way, it's an interesting mechanic uh, for how the mirror world works. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the idea of it being, of things being able to be used as thematic opposites is something interesting. Because obviously, you know, we've been thinking about, uh, for binding specifically, we've had kind of reinforced to us that Opposites are the thing that kind of make all the magic work, right? That make protective magic work specifically. So the idea that uh, opposites might play more of a factor in the themes that things associate with different objects is is interesting. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I like the the way that Blake uh, rationalizes how he can help Evan. He kind of is is fairly sure that because of his battle with the Erasure Demon, his connection to Evan was cut. But because of this, Evan is obviously kind of atrophying energy and needs to be shored up with spirits just as Blake is being shored up with spirits. And mm-hmm. so Blake is pretty sure that if he kind of offers power to Evan, Evan's going to instinctively absorb it. Uh, and through that, he can kind of give him a little boost. It's a nice little, it just is a nice little bit of, of I don't know, like systems building. Yeah. I mean, you know, it it totally makes sense. Um I think the interesting thing I started to think about as I was reading this was, so if Blake's giving this energy to Evan, what what kind of energy would he be giving? Yeah. You know, like we've seen so much in this story, you don't just give raw energy. It's always themed to based on whoever is giving it. Uh, and, and, you know, like Evan is full of, like, I guess, like freedom or, or movement spirits. You know, he's, he's all about well, being a bird. Um I was interesting. Like, I just sort of had this interesting thought of like, what sort of 
sort of spirits do we think Blake has in him? Like I assume by now it's quite a menagerie, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what what sort of spirits gravitate towards Blake? Uh, I wonder. Yeah, it's interesting. I I I'm especially interested because I'm not sure whether it's Blake giving some spirits that are gravitating towards him, like giving their energy to Evan, or mm. if it's him giving his you know, limited remaining essence to Evan. Um, especially oh. because there's a moment where he tries to cut his a tattooed part of his body, which obviously <laughs> is kind of representative of the spirits, and it just won't cut. Uh, and so yeah. he has to cut somewhere else that will end up bleeding in order to give power. So it definitely makes me feel like Blake is bleeding himself out, not giving part of the spirits energy, but kind of weakening himself even more. Uh, no, no, I totally agree, but... Like, I don't think it's as cut and dry. Yeah, that's uh, fair. It's probably not a clear distinction between where Blake, I don't know, yeah. starts and ends. Well, I think, like, when he's full of these spirits, that impacts his energy, which impacts what he's giving to Evan. Yes. Like, like, and I think, I think you know, Evan was able to give Blake those sort of escape instincts when he was his familiar, and I don't think that was Evan giving Blake those spirits. I think it was just that those were the spirits that were in Evan, and so those that was the sort of energy Evan produced. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, I could see Blake being full of like tenacity. I was about to say that exact uh, same word. I think tenacity it, it, is the one word that describes Blake more than anything it, else. Yeah, and, and I think that kind of suits. Like Evan doesn't get better for this. Like he's still really drunk, and that's very fun. Yes, um, which probably isn't the sort of thing I should say about a seven-year-old. But he's he's <laughs> no, dead, so it doesn't matter. You're right. Um, there are a few times throughout this chapter where I think to myself, "Man, this is a really fun scene." Oh, wait, no, I shouldn't be enjoying this. This is a drunk child. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but, well, he's a bird, so it doesn't so, count. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, It's a drunk um, child bird, so that makes it better. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, like, he doesn't get better. He just seems more able to fight through it, which is very Blake. So, so yeah. that's, sort of, that's sort of what I'm imagining Blake's giving off right now. Yeah, almost like... <laughs> I don't know what the word for it is, but that kind of improvisational plan energy you know <laughs> yeah um, yeah so evan kind of starts drunkenly flying around uh trying to escape while satia and maynad and blake all kind of follow behind him <laughs> i mean this is just this is one of the most fun scenes in the book so far i think is yeah it's kind yeah. of hilarious while also being very tense yeah there's a moment that i really like where evan's kind of flying along and then he kind of tucks himself into a little ball and just skids along the floor spinning around <laughs> until he comes to a, a stop next to the mirror that Blake is currently in. And it's just this, it's like, it really has this kind of cinematic helter-skelter energy, which is such an enjoyable ride. I really hope, I guess, I don't know if they can become familiar, get a familiar bond back, but I hope Blake and Evan manage to like sync up Again, a lot more in this story, because Evan's just so much fun. Yeah, and they are a pretty good team, aren't they? Like, yeah, this is yeah. the first time we've seen them be a team in, what, three chapters? Um, it's it's good to see them being back. Oh, sorry, not yeah. three chapters, three arcs. Uh, yeah, and especially, they're not even, they don't even have that familiar bond anymore. Like, yeah. like you know, their bond is severed, but they're still a very natural fit for each yeah, other. Yeah, they just kind of seemingly work. Yeah. Um. So here's an interesting bit. Blake kind of makes this uh, declaration where he says, let me be the one who is drunk on the priest's illusions. I offer power and I offer it knowing I might permanently change as a consequence. Um, <laughs> and this is kind of like, this is the, the part that makes me think Blake is, is just kind of knowingly playing back into the role that was carved out for him. Um, because he's doing this sacrificial lamb thing again. And I don't know whether it's, like, heroic or stupid. I can't quite decide. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just such a trooper, Blake. Um, I, I think maybe idiot isn't a unfair description of sort of what he does here. Just because I don't think, like, just pleading in English to the spirits like this was ever really going to work. Um, otherwise <laughs> people would do it more. Yeah. Uh... You know, if you want to get the spirits on board, I think it either has to be simple or playing into existing things that the spirits do, like existing traditions and all yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there is an interesting trend. Like, we've talked so much this arc about Blake's journey, like, like he felt very different and he started to feel a bit more and more like himself throughout the arc. And this is a bit of that, like the the willingness to just throw his life force away 
uh, like this is is very old school Blake. Yeah, but the thing that kind of makes me uneasy about that is saying he's starting to feel more like himself. I mean, like, that's not necessarily a good thing because the Blake that we know, the Blake that we know and love is the one that was so kind of dedicated to his, you know, to, to his programming. Um, No, well, he, he, he talked about that a lot last chapter, like wanting to move away from his old patterns. Like that, that's what he sort of talked about is he started to, maybe it was last year, maybe it was the chapter before, but you know, he had that whole speech about uh, not wanting to go with his guts so much and uh, i mean he said that but then he you know he's kind of been up against the wall since then so he still had to do it although i guess when the pressure's on i think the witch said the left side is a bit more okay but uh yeah i agree like um you know we've sort of been saying he needs to start to pick and choose who the bits of who he is and and it still doesn't feel like he's doing that um <sighs> yeah i i don't think i mean this is a theme that i think exists throughout a lot of wildbo's works right where his protagonists will constantly make decisions that are justifiable given the, given the kind of context and the, the kind Mm. of unending stakes that they seem to find themselves in. Right. Um, and this has happened and been kind of commented on in story by a number of characters criticizing this of the protagonists of, of, of Wabo stories where they let themselves fall into situations where they have to constantly escalate like this, right? Or they have to constantly be making the move that they kind of don't want to make in abstract, but are forced to make because they've put themselves in these high-pressure situations. Um, no, I mean, it's that whole thing. If you if you have to sort of make these decisions or if you make mistakes, but it's like high-pressure, it's sort of a bit forgivable. But if you keep ending up in these situations, eventually you have to take a step back and try and identify the pattern that keeps leading you to be being in those situations yeah Um, and i think this chapter blake doesn't really have an opportunity to do that but no you know for example last chapter he had the option to you know stay with mags or go and 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 come to the house right or he's even had the options to you know when he was talking to Faisal, he had the option of getting out of of this pattern literally breaking out of this pattern or kind of perpetuating it and he's chosen the wrong thing each time like i i love the guy and his heart is so in the right place but he he doesn't seem to have the the meta knowledge to see that he could break the pattern in a few different places this arc and he's just chosen not to yeah well i mean you know like even going back to the example i used before he was saying, oh, I don't want to repeat these patterns with Rose and Mags. <laughs> Goes to Mags, and then he had that bit where he just ran off, and Mags was like, wait, what if you're in trouble? Yeah. He's like, no, I was too far away to answer. And I yeah. think that may have been the moment where it's like, okay, no, he's he's doing it again. You know what me- might be the best thing for Blake? Is to get locked in a box with only his thoughts and have him have a chance to puzzle it out. So, I don't know, maybe he'll get that situation soon. <laughs> Hmm. Well, let's see. Well, we'll see. We'll see. No spoilers. Um. So, okay. So Evans running. <laughs> we've gone off on a real tangent here. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Evans escaping. Uh, and Blake is kind of chasing. Um. And at this point, we we get to a kind of Mexican standoff where Evans hiding next to Blake and the the coterie that have chased kind of are scared enough of Blake that they don't want to get too close. <laughs> until they eventually break mirror they kind of just start chucking stuff at Blake to break the mirrors that he's in um which gives them an opportunity to kind of get close to Evan until Blake pulls out a very interesting kind of galaxy brain level bluff I mean this might be one of my favorite plays that Blake has done in the story that I can <laughs> yeah. remember like this this is very this feels like top tier practitioner uh shenanigans like knowing what moves you can pull and, and bluff and stuff yeah and, it, and the way he words it, it's very it's very cleverly spoken yeah he does this he so he basically th- threatens to kill dionysus i suppose is, is the way to say it um <laughs> yeah he, he says like he says a bunch of things but it ends with i call on the tutorings of demons she summoned on my behalf everything that was given to me so i might know the words to speak to kill a god and that killer god there is italicized which is great and it really lends it this like this huge amount of weight uh at the end of this little written paragraph it it makes it so powerful i really love it yeah uh yeah i agree um I, and i think it works because wabo doesn't overuse 
Yeah. Uh, like the italics to highlight stuff. Um, I mean, I, I've I've been reading a, a Matthew Riley book recently, uh, which we've talked about on Media MD, and yeah. uh, you know, his his love of the all caps to emphasize things uh, once or twice a page really makes you stop giving a shit 50 pages in um <laughs> i think wobo wobo strikes a much better balance of using these things for effect yeah uh, but not overusing them the uh the sparsity is what really makes it work um yeah. yeah and and so this bluff works i suppose i mean it works from blake's perspective it kind of spurs the this coterie into taking taking some action um they continue to throw stuff at blake and he does a real power move here he catches one of the books that they throw at him and then like brings it into the mirror dimension goes to a different mirror and then th- from that mirror throws it back at the person who threw it of oh, the the satyr that threw it and it's it's a real escalation of power right yeah i mean there's nothing new here he reaches out of the mirror yeah brings the book back in with him i suppose that's kind of new yeah uh teleports to the the scene and then throws it out which is like a little bit new but like i i agree the the fluidity and kind of ease with which he does all three of these things is it feels like a huge step up from anything we've sort of seen him do yeah i, I agree it definitely or, feels or like Rose. a step up right and it's kind of fun watching him we've seen him do a few like spooky things that felt like he was playing into his you know his bogeyman nature and it's well, interesting yeah, like threatening to kill Dionysus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but I mean the kind of stuff where he was like jumping around mirrors while he talked to people to kind of spook them out. Um, whereas yeah. this is a, a combat application of what he could do. And it's really fun kind of seeing him, I don't know, you know, flex his, flex his muscles a bit with that stuff. Yeah. Well, I like how he thinks about the effect this would be having on his enemies. Like he sort of says that from their perspective, they threw a book at one mirror and suddenly it came back at them from a different <laughs> window. Like that would be like, it'd be very easy to start becoming paranoid if, if shit like that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, it would make me, I mean, he's, he's definitely embracing the spookiness now. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this is the place for it. Yeah. True. I mean, if you've got a, if you've got to go spooky on somebody, might as well be the fucking weird, creepy monsters. Yeah. I guess one thing we didn't, touch on but like was a little hint that was dropped on us is that uh evan had darker tints to some of his feathers yeah. uh, on the edges and blake assumes that's because evan was getting some drain energy alongside whatever else he was giving him which is a horrifying thought yes um yeah i i think we kind of have hit that note before in this arc although i don't know if we've mentioned it where evan has looked very i don't know disheveled uh, although maybe it was a bit ambiguous as to whether that's uh, just a general lack of energy as opposed to kind of drain infection, I suppose. I I assume that was more just because he's leaking, like, you know, energy and, and yeah. being shored up by spirits. Like, it was just general spiritual untidiness. Well, the drains has a hold on him now, so we'll see. <laughs> um, oh, God. I, do, do we think that's happened? I mean, it, Blake could have kind of accidentally forged a connection between the abyss and evan now which is not uh, something he, that's super great to think about he could have i hope not i hope it's just like the essence like like you know the energy of the drains that blake had sort of leaking in because i don't think i could cope with the idea of evan being sent to the drains yeah although I'm, he probably would come back as a phoenix which would be cool <laughs> we'll see i suppose um so Evan uh, flies off to grab a mirror to kind of give Blake a bit more space to play with. Um, and Blake tries to follow, but also the main ad follows. And there's another brief scuffle where Blake kind of cuts at the main ad and, and makes contact with it and seems to kind of, you know, uh, slow it down considerably. Um, yeah. So now Evan has a mirror. Blake's with him. They head back up to the top floor to rescue the Cabal. Yeah, there's one bit here where I, which I want to read out, and it's it's probably a bit long, so I'll try and cut it down. Uh, but Blake, Blake basically says to Evan that he needs uh, a mirror, and uh, you know has has Evan seen any around the house? And Evan says, oh, I don't know, uh, but I can walk. And and he flies off as Blake is saying, wait. And um, I mean, we just had that whole, we just had that whole conversation about what kind of energy and and, and spirit uh, Blake might be giving to Evan. Yeah, uh, I think we're seeing here that Evan at least got some of his run off into danger without talking about it energy because that's exactly what he just did the best kind of blake energy the uh don't wait to hear the full part of the plan just go 
Well, and there's the bit later where uh, Evan just sort of swoops down with the mirror. He's like Plan C, and just like kind of assumes Blake will figure it out, which is a very Blake thing to do as well. I think. Well, just like, just, just yell out Plan C and be like, "Yeah, he'll figure it out." Yeah, that's true. Although at that point, I'm kind of unsure whether it's Evan freestyling and trusting Blake to improvise along with it, or uh, Jeremy pretending to improvise plans so that Blake kind of won't question it too much and will just go along with it. Um, it's hard to, there, there's a definite point, there's a definite confusion about the point where Evan stops being real and starts being faked. I mean, I I didn't get the impression that Jeremy was impersonating Evan at any point. Wait, no, there definitely is a bit where Jeremy is impersonating Evan because Blake thinks, like, Evan's voice sounded weird. Oh, it was Jeremy, or I don't know the exact wording, but something like well, that. Yeah, no, I just assumed that he was expecting to hear Evan's voice and then it wasn't that and it took him a while to process mm. it. Maybe, maybe. Uh, leave your comments in the discussion thread, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we're jumping ahead of ourselves a bit. Um, I want to talk about this one part where Blake and Evan are kind of heading towards the attic and Blake is having a bit of a shouted argument with Jeremy. Uh, and Blake yells, I can't stand by while you go after my friends. And Jeremy responds, the same friends who locked you out, he asked, who left you to rot? Extenuating circumstances, I called out. Um <laughs> So again, uh, Blake kind of coming around to Rose's side, which is uh, great and uh, the the wrong decision based on how this chapter ends. But um, it's interesting that around this point, Jeremy and Rose are making their deal, right? So mm. if this isn't immediately, like if they haven't already made the deal, in which case Rose is kind of hearing this and surely must be feeling heartless. I mean, I don't know. Um, if she no, hasn't already there's... heard this, she... She's hearing this and then is making the deal, which is even worse. Like, I don't know. No, I, I don't think there's time between this and the the reveal for their, for her to make the deal between this. So I think she's already done it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so for me, this this really read as like Jeremy being like, you sure you want to do it for these guys? Interesting. You think he's uh, kind of warning him away. No, I don't think he is. It's, it's you know, he probably just couldn't help but sort of bring it up. Like, you know, it re- <laughs> on, on a second read through, this line is is just sort of has so much more weight to it than, yeah. uh, than I mean, the first time. Maybe it's just Jeremy kind of being a dick to Rose and Co by being like, yeah, you just sold this guy out and he's so <laughs> dedicated to you. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. I was thinking of it in terms of Blake, but you're right, it could be could be more aimed at uh, Rose and friends. Sorry. Um, so... They make their way back to the attic, but it's empty, question mark? Um, Blake is confused, follows Evan in the mirror, but turns out it's a trap. Uh, Jeremy has kind of trapped him inside a circle, similar to how they trapped Conquest. Um, in fact, identical to how they trapped Conquest, because Rose mm-hmm. has told them how t- how that worked and how to trap Blake as a result. Uh, Jeremy and Rose have officially made a deal yeah and and blake specifically calls out that he has been trapped like conquest and uh yeah um uh, yeah i don't know it's such an interesting line because you know we know that rose is still being affected by uh exactly what's happened there so um it's it's an interesting parallel to draw given how relevant that uh that has that that binding still is Mm. yeah yeah um fair enough uh, so this is kind of a confusing moment, right? This whole, the way this all goes down. Um, yes. I, and I, I think it's, obviously it's meant to be confusing because we're in Blake's point of view and he's being tricked, which I quite like. I like that. I like that we have these confusing moments and they're always kind of a bit confusing on your first read, but you really can get mm. into them on your second read and be like, oh, that, that satyr is holding, you know, whatever, which means that this has happened and that's happened. It's kind of interesting it lets you puzzle it out to kind of delve more into what's happening while still still giving you the yeah. feeling of like what the fuck's going on here <laughs> um yeah yeah i agree uh it, it's it's sort of there because there is that moment where the mirror's coming down and then you hear jeremy shout now and and you're sort of like <laughs> wait but yeah. what and uh and then and then obviously we have the reveal and it takes you a sort of a few lines and blake a few lines slash seconds in in his point of view to process exactly what's gone down yeah yeah and honestly i mean like rose and the cabal just standing there at this point watching jeremy's close the trap like fuck it's so cold mm, mm. um should we touch on the oh okay cool so yeah so let's talk about the deal that that 
Rose and Jeremy have made, right? Because basically what Rose did was just make herself more trouble dead than she is alive. And that's her <laughs> bargaining chip, which is, I mean, it's like, I, it's fair to hate on Rose a lot this chapter, but I think she's making some pretty good moves here. Um, basically, she just sets up a situation where she's reckless enough that they kind of have to come after her. And then she sets it up so that she can't be killed. And then the only option they have left is to kind of make deals with her to, to make her less reckless, which is a great, like, it's a big play. And I quite like it. All, all they really, all she really got was she, they all had to agree now to the, uh, to the terms of war, which she probably wanted to agree to anyway, but she just used it to get a bit more of an advantage over them. Like, it's good plays. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. This is, this is dastardly. Like, my understanding is she's basically baited them into using this big play, which is Jeremy opening the house, like, to sort of get it out of the way. And now everyone's basically where they wanted to be at the start. So she's just, it's a real asshole move, but it's, it's a good one. Um, like, I, I want to hate her for everything that's happened right now, but I have to admit, this is pretty fucking clever Um, yeah um and obviously it's bad that the house is now seemingly you know semi-permanently uh breached i suppose Um, yeah rose seems to talk about it as if it's not just going to go back to being what it was yeah yeah um but also it's it's kind of fair to think that i mean jeremy doesn't like he's been talking about how this is a big move for him to make and he can't do stuff like this all the time it kind of feels like jeremy has been you know, at least on on a large scale, neutralized, right? Yes, uh, which I don't imagine sits well with his god that uh, they sort of got played like this. Like, I can't imagine this is a good outcome for him. No, um, I, I suspect not. But yeah, um, I, I mean, also just, just Rose's whole mutually assured destruction thing here with the deal she's made with Barbatorum. Like, it's so... Talk about conforming to that uh, whole nuclear weapon <laughs> yeah, analogy that, uh, that Laird brought up in Arc 1. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like this was always the way it was going to go down, right? I mean, there's no way that Rose wouldn't set up some kind of vindictive plays to be made if they uh, make moves against her. Um, yeah, yeah. But I guess that's what you expect when you're going up against a diabolist. Um, Pretty much. Interesting reveal here is that Rose kind of reveals that, yeah, I am tainted by conquest, I know, and we decided to keep that because it's a power source. Um, which is an interesting Ooh. move. It's an interesting kind of reveal of the fact that Blake has been so worried about this conquest taint, but it's something that they've looked at and decided is worth the risk. I don't know. It does feel like it might come back to bite her. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying so hard to control the various amounts of rage I keep feeling at Rose. Um, yeah. No, that's fair. This. Uh, but I mean, uh, for me, this is a classic, uh, what I am dubbing an it's worse bow, which is when Wild Bow has a twist that's actually so much worse than all your terrible fan theories. <laughs> um, like we've seen this in some of his other works, but like, you know, I, like you sort of have all these theories about the conquest Tate and how bad it might be and, and how awful it might be doing it. You know, it turns out the answer's worse. It's actually just Rose is just an arsehole mm. and she's using it and she doesn't really care and she's convinced everyone else to use it maybe she used the conquest aura to do that i don't know like yeah we don't know how she's spending her conquest points but if it's keeping the others in line i wouldn't be surprised that seems like the sort of thing conquest uh yeah it's worth kind of touching on the fact that we've always seen rose as the one that was more willing to use others as tools right Um, yeah so it's not really out of character for her to be doing that with blake or with conquest yeah yeah um so they've made a deal uh part of this deal is that blake is now all bound up and uh yeah rose and the cabal just kind of leave leave blake trapped in this circle bound where he is and that's that's that this is just where he lives now (laughs) yeah i mean before she goes rose talks to blake a bit and heavily implies that there's a bit more to him right now than he uh appreciates which Mm. uh, is fun um uh but yeah i mean obviously now he's trapped in this mirror with the threat that if he makes too much noise they'll like silence ruin it up so he can't uh well the noise can't escape but uh i mean this is like one of blake's worst nightmares right like, yeah he, he's spent so much of this story talking about how he doesn't like to feel trapped and yeah he's all about, about freedom as, as you can get yeah um i mean it, like he even talked to mags at the start of this arc about how he couldn't do her job because he saw that as too too much of a trap <laughs> uh that's looking pretty good now i imagine yep 
Um, yes. Uh, and I got to touch on one of the last things Rose says before she walks out, which is, if it helps, she said, we believe you now, which is so cold. Like, Rose is saying, you know what? You were right. You are someone that's genuine and feels true friendship with us and really cares about us. And you know what? I don't give Thanks a shit. Thanks for your sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. It's cold. Uh, but I, I kind of want to touch on, I like, I don't know if this is, I don't know, like reading too much into it or, or something, but I kind of feel like it could have been worse here right like they made this deal in order to get jeremy off their backs and all they really had to give up was basically telling everybody how to beat blake like that's all they've really done is tell everybody how to get around blake's tricks which yes is bad because it means that blake is you know greatly weakened not not as surprising to anybody cool but all they're really doing is binding him i mean they're even kind of keeping him around like i kind of it's shitty yes but I don't. It. I feel like it could have been a lot worse. I. I mean, if it was an, <clears throat> if it was anyone else, I might agree. But this is such a a sore point for Blake that mm. it, it's worse. I. I don't know. Maybe they don't really appreciate that, which um is a, is a whole thing. But um, uh, yeah. I mean, it does come back like that. Has sort of been a recurring theme for me with Rose. This arc is I want to hate her so much for everything she's doing to Blake, but. Often I can see how, from her perspective, this what she's doing is probably the smarter play. Like, and I, yeah, like, I think, I, I, on some level, that makes me angrier because I'm not allowed <laughs> to be angry at her. Because uh, yeah, yeah, like a lot of what she does here, I'm like, I get, I, I get it. Um, I, I can see the tactics behind this. It's heartless, and you're an asshole. But I, I, I can see why you're doing it. Yeah, and kind of beyond that, even like we kind of see that this chapter that she's been making some pretty smart tactical moves um and so it's hard to get too upset at her for making some good plays in what is obviously a terrible situation Mm. Um, yeah exactly so um uh, yeah you know the other thing that we find out here is that (laughs) is that the familiar ritual between max and molly got completely fucked um so (laughs) i'm glad just everything's going wrong yeah, I mean it's a, it's a fun way to end off the well, well the arc really um, yeah. depending on what what interlude we're looking at coming up but uh yeah, I mean it's interesting. So it seems like at the end of the day things in the house uh didn't go better for Blake being there and in fact went much better overall. So uh you got to wonder, do you think Blake made the right choice coming to the house instead of staying with Mags cuz uh it doesn't really seem like uh any he did much here, you know. He obviously bought a fair amount of time, which was time that then Rose used to bargain with Jeremy. Um, but really the thing that turned it was the fact that Rose set up her Barbatorum dead man switch, right? Which presumably yeah, I- she would have had a chance to say anyway, because it didn't look like Jeremy was immediately killing her. He was chaining her up to talk to her. I don't get the impression Blake accomplished anything here, but annoying Jeremy, breaking a couple of like reflective surfaces and giving rose something else to give jeremy to to strike the bargain she was probably already gonna strike with him uh i i I, like i asked that question before as as if it was rhetorical and that's because i believe the answer is almost certainly no i think you're right staying with mags yeah um i wonder what he could have done with mags maybe maybe nothing but maybe something uh he definitely don't know i think you're right that he definitely didn't the only thing he maybe did here was endear himself to evan which might become relevant um that's true that's true Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, we don't know enough about what, what's gone wrong with um, Mags and Molly, but it's hard to believe from the sounds of it, it could have gone much worse. Yes. Uh, from what little we've heard. Um, um, but on the bright side, yeah. Blake's back in the house now. So, yay. Just what he wanted. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, that, that sort of wraps up this, this chapter and sort of Blake's role in this arc, I assume. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I really liked how this chapter, there's a real sense of... Uh, limits in what Blake can do. Like, I think, like, the, the recurring theme throughout this chapter is that Blake doesn't have much he can do, and, of course, that all comes together in the end here where he's now trapped and there's literally nothing he can do about anything. Yep. Um, and, I mean, you know, like, that sort of even started last chapter, so I really like how we've sort of had the whole end of this arc come towards Blake being trapped. Uh, yeah. You know, right up until the point where he is. Yeah. It's interesting because it, it, it kind of has been... You know, 
we have this idea of the mirror world as like quite restrictive, but really this arc has kind of shown us that he he actually has more freedom of movement in the mirror world than he ever really did in the human world, I guess we'll call it. Um, and I like the idea of of playing off how free he's been over this arc compared to earlier, and then how free he seems to be at the end of the chapter, which is zero. Um, it's a great way to kind of give us this little bit of him just being able to zip around and kind of do whatever he wants and go anywhere and not really be in any danger, and then suddenly that's all yanked out from under him at the end here. Yeah, I mean, these last two chapters really started to give a sense of how limited uh, things were in the mirror world when people just start breaking mirrors. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that really started to take away the sense of freedom. And I mean, we, you know, and, and to an extent, that is sort of the seeds have been being laid with that ever since he fought the um, AIS in ten point yeah. three. Yeah, true. Uh, which, which sort of really stomped on him in the mirror world. Yeah, yeah. I guess it it kind of every time someone interacts with him in the mirror world, it's it's been building us up to this conclusion where his his kind of renewed sense of vitality and freedom has been eroded by this arc. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think um, we've been slowly learning the limits of this world as much as the strengths. And who knows what's going to happen next? <laughs> well, I know you do. Well, yeah. And everyone, uh, you know, people who, are, who have already read the story know, but for the rest of us, you have to wait for next time or next time. Will Probably be the time it, after. So, yeah. The time after that. Um, before we wrap up the episode, though, we've had a discussion question that people have been leaving answers to, and this discussion question was, what form will Molly take as Mags' familiar? Um, hmm. And uh, we still don't know if or when that's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume, uh, due to the way that this chapter just ended, is probably not going ahead. Uh, it sounds like it's already fallen apart. Yes, uh, but if it does happen, let's try and see whose answer is going to be correct. There were some really good answers in here, <laughs> some that I really, yeah. really liked. Um, and there are a few kind of repeated themes. Um, I think, yeah, let's talk about this one. So uh, uh, the user Snez C uh, kind of brought up a theme which a fair amount of users brought up, which is that Molly kind of, Molly as a wraith had this vibe of injecting people with anger and negativity, right? which a lot of people interpreted as a sort of venom that she seeped into people. And from there, yeah. uh, a venomous or poisonous uh, animal would be one that would make a lot of sense. Uh, so Snez C talked about a wasp or a hornet as something that is fits Molly in the kind of venomous uh, vibe, but also fits Mags in the sense that she is really the most dangerous when she's disturbed. And at that point, she kind of flies off the handle and, and buzzes around messing with shit. Um, I also, and don't take this in a negative way, because this is a huge part of what I love about Mags, but she's kind of annoying and will buzz around your head <laughs> to annoy you. Uh, yes. I, I actually quite, I quite like this. Uh, I, I like that Venom idea. It's it's very dark, but like it, it does suit Molly. And yeah. uh, I think this is a good mesh of, of the two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's good because you're right that she's kind of annoying in a way where, you know, you know how a wasp or a hornet, you're kind of unreasonably angry at or afraid of them right because they are they're so annoying and intimidating as insects even though they're really not that that big of a deal um mm. which i think mm. fits mag so well she kind of has yeah, this too big for her boots kind of vibe <laughs> oh she, just the way she gets up in your face like that's exactly what wasp and, and mosquito yeah. and stuff worrying does yeah um another theme that i really liked that was in a few answers was Mags, as someone who's kind of relatively, uh, uh, this isn't the right word for it, but kind of standard. She's not like crazy out there, right? Um, she's a she's a relatively s- straightforward practitioner, um, but she's yeah. not. She's kind of mangy and grungy, right? And so a lot of answers kind of suggested relatively normal uh, animal animals for familiars, but ones that were that were kind of the the. The grungy versions. So Groby four six five seven eight mentioned kind of dogs and cats with that kind of junkyard dog or junkyard cat vibe. Um, the ones that kind of bite the hand that feed them or are quite passive aggressive towards their owners. Yeah, a bit of a dishevelled uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, something I really liked about Groby's answer was, and some of these answers talked about the the uh, the way that Molly's powers might manifest. And so one that I liked from Groby was uh, 
Molly obviously is kind of a has a defensive vibe. So as a dog, uh, as a dog, this could manifest as a growl or a howl that kind of keeps bad things away. Uh, I quite liked. Yeah, um, no, that, that's true. She's she's because she's quiet. I, I I mean, it's interesting trying to balance wraith molly versus original molly when when sort of talking about this stuff yes uh and one thing that really defined uh actual molly was uh that that defensiveness and no i wouldn't use the word territorial yeah nature because that wasn't really what she was going for it was much more protective but you know dogs can be quite you know you use them as patrol and, yeah. and stuff and and it's like i could see that suiting her yeah yeah uh the theme of of molly's uh defensiveness came up with a few other answers as well um so there was david l hunt who suggested a badger because molly <laughs> mm. felt kind of like a a den dwelling badger um defensive yeah, but would be yeah. provoked i like that yeah uh one i also really liked was uh, by N- nahima who uh mentioned a fox i i really like this one as well a fox gives me the same kind of vibe as, as a dog or a cat, where it's kind of relatively standard as an animal, especially, you know, in parts of the world that are not Australia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, they're everywhere here too, we just don't want them Well, sure, be. sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, also kind of defensive and den-dwelling and uh, kind of wily, which I liked. Um, gave me a fun kind of vibe. I think Wiley applies more to Molly than to Mags, whereas Mags is a bit more on the Blake side of uh, <laughs> rush in first and worry about it later. <laughs> um, but I quite liked it. Um, oh, one other one was All Seeing I-70 mentioned a spider, which again has that same vibe of maintaining a safe house and uh, ensnaring things that get too close, but not venturing out beyond the kind of safe territory too much. Yeah, spider's a good one. Although it's like I guess we haven't seen too many familiars, but they usually there's usually like a, like I think Evan is like the smallest we've seen. Like I'm trying to imagine a a spider-sized familiar like you know the way that could be a bit of a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, for the for the spider as much as for the practitioner. Yeah, I, what's the smallest? I guess Evan is the smallest we've seen, right? Although Laird kind of has a like a pocket watch yes. familiar, right? Well, that that's true, but that was a very uh, unique situation, yes. I think. Uh, yes, it definitely feels relative like that. to what we've seen. Yeah, I wonder if you can have like a fly familiar or a mosquito familiar <laughs> that it's very good at. I don't know, getting into small spaces, or we're getting a bit down the rabbit hole yeah. now. I Plank- suspect plankton familiar. That's that's the winner. <laughs> yes, yes, a molecular level familiar. <laughs> um. Did you have any other ones that you really liked? Um, so there was a stuck in Reddit factories one jumped out to me, mm. um, where they talked about uh, like bats just because of the whole vampire blood thing and and Molly and Mags's relationship with the blood sacrifice. Yeah, I like that the the idea of Mags, you know, feeding Molly blood and therefore a vampire bat being a kind of uh, representation of that. I, I also liked something that stuck in Reddit factory mentioned where. If Mags and Molly, you know, if Molly takes a bat form that kind of has this interesting dark reflection of of Blake and Evan with Evan as a bird in a way that kind of mm. suits the mm. way that Blake and, Mol- uh, Blake and Mags have kind of been reflections of each other so far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I really like that. Yeah. Great answers, everybody. Great answers in our discussion questions. Um, If you'd like to leave any thoughts on those discussion answers or anything else that we talked about this episode, the place to do that is in our discussion thread, which you can find linked in the uh, description down below. Uh, Yes, and if you don't like Reddit, uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter, Mm. uh, which is at MediaMDPodcast. That's where we can be found. Uh, We also have an email, which is MediaMDPodcast at gmail.com. We almost never mention it, but we do sometimes get emails on there. So, (laughs) hey, maybe shoot us an email. Um, You could. No one's saying you can't. Uh, and if you don't want to use your, like, you know, go back 15 seconds button and you, you miss that email address, uh, you can find it and a whole bunch of other information at doofmedia.com. Yes, uh, you can you can see info about uh, past episodes of Deep Impact and episodes of MediaMD and also episodes of shows that don't even feature us at all. Um, the Doof Book Club is, is about to come out. Is that right, Elliot? Uh, yes, I'm not sure exactly when it hits the... Uh, you know the uh, the RSS feed for the Doofcast. Yeah. Um, but it's you know we've we've done the live recording, so it should be fairly soon. Yeah. Um, if, if it's not already out, 
you know, Elliot, is there some way that people can, like, find out about when shows are going to be coming out? That's a good question, Ruben, because I'm currently looking it up right now. If you head to doofmedia.com forward slash calendar, you can yep. find out when all this stuff happens. And if, but, uh, if my page will load, I could tell you all about the book club. But Elliot, what if, what if I, as a user, have this user story where I want to know when things come out, but the, I never go to the Doof website, and also that calendar isn't in my local time zone? What do I do? Sorry, um, you use the word user story, and that's that's very much upsetting. <laughs> I've, tri- um, I've triggered every, all the tech, all the tech you see. Uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, the other solution is to become a Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com slash doofmedia. And uh, one of the perks there you get is access to our Discord server, where the very helpful Behamebot will let you know when everything's happening uh, relative to you. Yes, which is very helpful. Um, and you know what? The Discord isn't just a place to get local time relative calendar updates. There's also discussion on all the great Doof shows in there, as well as just a bunch of stuff. Uh, there's a TV channel, movies, games, and uh, all of Wildbo's stories, all the Doof shows. Basically, anything you want to talk about, you'll probably find the right place for it in there. Yes. Um, and of course, speaking of Patreon... Wabo does have a Patreon. We've mentioned it before, and we're going to keep mentioning it until you, listener who hasn't Patreoned Wabo, David, does it. I'm f- you, David. Yeah. Do you think there's? Do you think I got one? Do you, do you think my <laughs> my guess has successfully picked a a David who is listening to this right now who hasn't backed Wabo's Patreon? Well, I guess I guess we'll find out. Yep. Uh, head to patreoncom Wabo if you want to support <laughs> Wabo's Patreon. Um. And if our sign-off bits are getting that ridiculous, it means it's probably time for us to wrap up this episode. So uh, (laughs) we'll see you all for our next episode talking about uh, 10.x, the interlude for this arc. And that'll be on Wednesday the 4th. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.